Have you sat down and thought about what that means as far as time goes and energy? Do you have the time in your life or do you really want to have 100 listings a year? The money sounds great, but I don't know. I think people underestimate. Yeah, it's... People underestimate because they don't know. They don't, right. You know, they, they don't know what the team really needs to look like generate yeah. that revenue in that business you know and or, what the or, model has to be yeah or if you're a solo like you don't realize how much you are gonna have to do how much it's gonna take away from your life which if that's what you want that's great but i don't think people know that they just know that a hundred leads or a hundred contracts sounds great and the money sounds great but they don't know what that means the effort that it takes to do those things Hello and welcome to the Agent Podcast with your host, that's me, Raymond Sholseth. Let's dive in. Hey guys, welcome to the Agent Podcast. I'm here with my friend Annabelle coming to us live out of Las Vegas, Nevada. Annabelle, welcome to the show. Hey, good morning and thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for joining us. So Annabelle, I know you're a teacher full time, but how'd you get into real estate? So I got into real estate because... I was honestly already dipping my feet into it. So I had bought my first house in 2015 and then I bought a condo and then I got married and I bought a house with my husband. So I ended up with two rentals. So my first house, I had rented it. Everything was fine. My condo was fine. This, that, and the other, everything was rolling along. Sometimes my tenants missed a payment. They got caught up, but then the pandemic hit. And then things went crazy. <laughs> and um, unfortunately, both of my tenants were out of work, so they stopped paying. So I had these huge mortgages to pay, didn't know what to do. And I wasn't the only one. Most of my family has rentals, and they also had lost their jobs, and they also had these mortgages to pay, and they also had to worry about um, their tenants and I'm the oldest in my family, so I knew that I was, well, I'm the oldest in my family, and I'm the only one that was employed full-time throughout the pandemic. So I knew that knowing a thing or two was going to come in handy because it was going to fall on me to figure out what to do about the whole thing. On the one hand, like, not only was I the only person employed, uh, my parents are mostly Spanish-speaking. So a lot of the laws and the regulations to go along with being a landlord, they just don't know about and they're not going to because of the language barrier. So anyway, unfortunately, one of my tenants, not only did he stop paying, and this went for months and months and months, he stopped communicating. And eventually he said he wasn't going to move and he wasn't going to um, pay, period. Like just he wasn't going to do anything. So I would drive by the house periodically and eventually it was just vacant. He didn't tell me. I don't know when he left. I literally like no idea what had happened. Just one day the house was vacant. So I put up a 24-hour notice just because I didn't know if he was or wasn't in there really. I just could, it kind of looked vacant. So I put the 24-hour notice and um, the next day I came back. And I went in the house and it had been flooded. And so when you flood a house, like the water destroys the floor and it goes up the walls and, you know, pretty much 
Yeah. Water destroys everything. Yeah. Um, air conditioning system on the outside had been stripped for the metal, so there's no air conditioning system. Washer, dryer, everything was taken out. The refrigerator was left, but it had left, he had left like meat inside the refrigerator. And I don't know if you've ever smelled the smell of rotting meat, mm-hmm. but it's Not horrible. Yeah, like I wasn't the worst and it was in the middle of summer. So it really had sat there cooking. So, I, you know, the toilets, they were like, he had jammed stuff into the toilets, which is what caused the flooding to begin with. And the water company, I called the water company and they said that it had been 30 gallons of water leaking out of those toilets per day from whenever it is that he left until the day that I saw him. Luckily, I guess like the good thing about Vegas weather is that it's super hot. So by the time I got in there, the rotting and the mold and all of it had already happened and dry. Like it was, you could tell it was rotted, but it was also bone dry. So it was just bumpy and destroyed. But at least... Outside of the really bad smell of the refrigerator, it was all pretty normal dirt smelling. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Is Nevada a landlord-friendly state? It used to be more so. It's becoming less now. Okay. Which is another reason why I had to get really informed. So that's a good question. And I feel like things are changing on us really quickly, or at least quicker than we realize. So... Is Nevada adopting a lot more uh, of California-type regulations? Yes, I'm so glad you said that because it was about to come right out of my mouth. Yes, that's exactly what's happening. And I think it's happened more since the pandemic. And I get it. Like, for example, with the moratorium, I get it. People couldn't pay, right? But there was a lot of programs, which my second tenant took a part of, um, that helped tenants get back on their feet. Uh, He got a lot of money for all those months that he couldn't pay, he got a lot of money to pay the rent. So there was there was a lot of help out there. When people worked with their landlords, and I'm not saying every single time, but in my case, my second tenant in my condo, he worked with me and he did everything he could to get back on his feet. And he, he got money, he got assistance. We were fine. The first one stopped communicating. That was the problem. So when I saw all of that, One, I had to get informed. And two, I thought, once I get this place fixed up, however it is that I'm going to get through this, I'm going to sell this place and I'm probably going to buy something else. And then that got me thinking, well, if I'm going to do that, you know, you look at the cost of going into getting a real estate license and it's, you know, it's good information to know if if you're going to stay in real estate. And it's not all that expensive. It's, I mean, I paid a lot more for my college degree as a teacher, right? <laughs> yeah. So I thought it was a pretty good bargain, basically. Um, so initially, I got into this to be informed myself and so that I could stay on top of it to do my next purchase. So you so became this accidental investor, Right. And then your family was kind of doing the same thing. And then when the pandemic hit, it just made sense for you to get your license to be as educated and flexible as possible so you could manage kind of your own properties. So what's happened since then? Right. So it did. It did. It it did kind of start into my own business, um, mainly because a lot of people need help and a lot of people need information. So people started calling me because of that. And as 
this whole shift in Las Vegas has happened. There's more and more renters. So I have a lot of clients that are looking into getting into rentals as well. And um, I don't know, it's not, the rental market is not as lucrative as buying and selling, but I like working with them because it's a, like, it sucks. A lot of people are having to move out of their houses because their landlord is trying to sell their house and they're stressed and they're panicked and they're nervous. And I like to be able to help them. Um, And I get it. The landlords are selling because this market is really hot. I would want, like, if I didn't have such a, the one house that I kept that I still have, the condo, if I didn't have such a good tenant, I'd want to, I'd want to sell it to and cash out, you know, like, I, I, and I'm a little bit younger. If you're getting older, you know, you might be tired of the whole process and you might, you might want to cash out and pay down your mortgage in your own house. So I, that's actually another thing. The people that I'm selling for tend to be a little bit older, and that's exactly what it is. They have 10 houses. They want to sell one. They're investors, and they want to pay down their house and, you know, enjoy retirement. So for you, you're you're basically, are you working as a full-time agent while you still have a full-time job, or is it truly a part-time business for you for what you're doing with real estate right now? Okay, I would say for me, it's more of a part-time business. But on the other hand, when you get calls and you get a bunch of clients and you have to work as many hours as you have to work, you do what you have to do. Mm-hmm. So it goes and comes in waves. Um, but yes, my first job is as a teacher. And then I work part-time as a real estate agent. So how do you manage your activities? I don't say manage time because I'm not a believer. You can manage time, right? Like mm-hmm. we all have 24 hours in a day. We can only manage our activities. So mm-hmm. how how do you do that? Well, I manage my time because I wake up pretty early in the morning. I know the hours that I have in the morning to get things done with real estate. And I use them to the fullest of my abilities. And I'm pretty strict about keeping my calendar. So yeah, I basically have to. Otherwise, there's you're right. There's no way. Um, And like I said, I want to say that I'm a part-time realtor, but that's not really how real estate works. Like when you have to get things done, you're going to do them. So unless you stick to some kind of a schedule, you know, you can't, it's impossible. So I'm a part-time realtor until I have to work full-time hours and then I do two full-time jobs. Yeah. Right. Right. So I love it. I love your dedication. Um, I noticed recently you started putting out YouTube videos. Can -hmm. you talk to me a little bit about that? Like I I talk to a lot of agents and even real estate professionals, mortgage Mm -hmm. people, escrow people, title people, inspectors, Mm -hmm. appraisers, whatever. And so many people are afraid of video. A, why did you choose YouTube specifically? And B is how did you get past your fear, if you had one, of just putting yourself out there on video? Um, okay. So the thing about the fear about the video is that I'm not afraid. Like it doesn't, I don't, I guess I don't get why anybody would be afraid. You're just looking at a camera and there's not even really anybody standing in front of you. Right. So if you're just, just facing yourself, <laughs> it's just a camera. Yeah. Like it's just a camera and you can edit it and you can erase things. And, um, I don't know, like, I don't, I don't get why that would be, why that would be scary at all, really. Plus another thing that really helps me is practice. So I will turn on my 
Google Meets and record myself saying the same thing like 10 times. So by the time I'm actually having someone record me that I'm going to put online, I've already practiced the same speech, I guess. Plus, I'm the one, like I did the research. I, I pulled that information. I'm not just copying someone else. So first, I studied that information. Second, I rehearsed that information. So by the time I get in front of the camera to record, I pretty much have it memorized in my head and I'll here and there look down at what I'm saying, but it's pretty much just all, it's in my brain. I'm just talking. So then why did you choose YouTube? How did you come up with that versus a Facebook Live or Instagram stories or any of that stuff? I don't know, because YouTube reaches a wider audience of people and it's pretty popular. It's a pretty popular form of communication. Whereas Facebook, um, until I grow my Facebook more and more and more, it's limited to whoever's on there. But YouTube, anybody can see it. Yeah, it's the biggest search engine owned by the first. It's the second biggest search engine owned by the first. Oh, (laughs) that's a good point. So you see, like, it kind of makes sense. If someone wanted to look up a Vegas market update, I would come up. And then another thing is, it's not just that, like, I tie my YouTube video and everything that I put on Facebook to my community. So I actually type up a flyer and it has all the Vegas market information. And then I also do market research more specific to my community here in Vegas, like my zip code. And then I type up flyers and I go to door to door and distribute them in the community. So like I said, this information I'm disseminating in multiple ways, which means I'm taking it in multiple ways. By the time I say it, I know what I'm saying. Yeah, you've already processed it, right? I've already processed it a lot of times, yeah. But I'm also kind of animated. Like, I happen to be an animated person, so being in front of the camera one way or another, or in front of people presenting, is not a big deal to me. When you're a teacher, so it's easy for you to teach, right? Yeah, exactly. So I've literally been in front of a whole audience for years and years and years. It's just we're younger, that's all. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I like that. So you talked a little bit about, you know, investing, you talked a little bit about um, rentals. Do you have a specific niche that you're focusing on? It sounds like you're leveraging your local community. That's become your farm area. You're doing some door knocking, you're putting out flyer, you're sharing information. What's your core focus for your business? Okay. So I don't know, this is going to sound like almost silly, but I really like to work with people who have had trouble in the past with other realtors or like are just not getting through what they want. Cause I don't I like the challenge. I feel like I thrive in adversity. So I enjoy looking at a puzzle and trying, trying to figure out like what was the problem there and how can I fix it? So, and that's been happening a lot actually. Like I get a lot of situations where for whatever reason they had an agent who was too busy or couldn't help them, or there's a language barrier. I really like working with people in those situations because I know that they have a limited pool of realtors that they can work with. And I know I can help them because I happen to be bilingual. So, I mean, that is really my niche. People that are struggling, I really like to help and I really like to give as much information as I can. And how are you finding those clients? Are they referrals? Are they finding you? Is it all community-based? What's happening with that? A little bit of everything. Okay. Some community-based, definitely referrals. Um, I do get, that's another thing that I don't underestimate as an agent. So 
I network with other agents as much as I network with people because other agents have sent me referrals. Sometimes they can't or, or the language barrier gets them or they have too many clients at the time. And I'll get referrals because I really do focus on talking to other realtors as much as possible. So where your you know, clients come from is a variety of different places. Yeah, always. Mm-hmm. Always. I call it multiple sources of leads, like mm-hmm. MSLs. That's the reality of the world that we live in today. Mm-hmm. You know, you have organic traffic, if you will, and then you have potentially paid traffic, if you will, if you're running ads or buying leads and that type of stuff. And then from there, you have a million different platforms, you know, whether it's a lead generation service or social media or traditional advertising on a bus bench, like all that type of stuff, right? It all plays into the business over time. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although, how do you feel about um, buying leads? Do you have any thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I think there's a time and a place for it, depending upon your business model and and where you are, right? Like I have some clients that I work with that are, they they have blended families and they have four or five, six kids mm-hmm. and they're newer to the real estate business, mm-hmm. but they don't have 60 hours a week to work. You know, maybe they mm-hmm. have 15 to 20 hours a week to work. So in those 15 to 20 hours, the question becomes is how do they use them to grow their business? So, you know, in a couple of their cases, like it makes sense to spend some money and buy some leads because that's going to be the quickest way to help them monetize their business. Mm -hmm. Yes, they need referrals and they need to work their sphere of influence and build their database and network. But if they only have 20 hours a week, they need to leverage that time, right? So if they can jumpstart their business by buying some leads, Mm-hmm. I advise them to do that. It doesn't mean that's the only thing they're doing. It just means maybe they're buying leads and now they're spending three, four, five hours a week following up on those leads and then another five hours networking and mm-hmm. then another 10 hours actually running their business, going to a listing presentation, doing an open house, right? Mm-hmm. Doing these things. And that's the cool thing about the real estate business is you can build a model that works for you no matter what your lifestyle is. Mm-hmm. You just have to be realistic about it, right? Like this person isn't going to do 100 transactions their first year. But they can probably do 8 to 10 if they do it right and they work hard and really leverage those 20 hours a week. Um, and they're in a market, specifically California, that it can be done. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I think there's nothing wrong with buying leads at the end of the I day. Think- like with everything that you just said, you threw out so many numbers. Like you said, if you spend this many hours on this and this many hours on that. And I think that's something that people really underestimate the amount of time this takes. Like People sometimes think, what is a realtor doing, but pushing paper, like pushing paperwork forward. It's not, it's, it is a lot of work. It is very difficult. Um, I guess you mentioned earlier, if anybody wanted to get into the business, What's one thing that they should know? All those numbers you threw threw out are are true. Like it really takes that amount of time, especially in the beginning. It really is. In a lot of ways, it's really cool because it's a full, it can be a full-time job. It can't be a part-time job. It does have flexibility, but then in a lot of ways you go from, it's a mind shift where you go from having a regular job where you have certain designated duties and they're pretty clear 
to having something that you're completely on your own about figuring out the time, what you're going to do, how you're going to do it. And if you don't have that. Yeah, because most people don't understand that it's a business, right? Like you went to real estate school, they teach you to get your license, but that's it. They don't teach you that you just became an entrepreneur. They don't teach you that you're a startup founder. They don't teach you that you have to wear the accounting hat and the marketing hat and the administrative hat and take out the trash. They don't teach you all of that stuff. Oh gosh, you said something about the trash. Can I tell you a funny story real quick? Yeah, I like funny stories. Trash, so. (laughs) Let's talk about trash. Yeah, let's talk about trash. Remember that rental I was telling you about in the beginning? Uh Uh-huh, yeah. So, you know, in my panic, all I could think of was like, okay, I gotta start cleaning and then I'll figure out the rest. If I could just get this place clean, I can think again. So I start cleaning it and I'm all of five, two and like one thirty. like I'm pretty small. I can't carry huge things around. So I start making these bags of garbage and then the garbage can is outside. And I'm like, I have to get the garbage can from the outside to the front of the house so they can get the garbage in there and the garbage man will take it away. And that's all I was thinking. Right. But then I realized the gate was locked in the backyard. So I had to get the garbage through the house. This garbage is like packed to the brim. And I'm like dying trying to get in the house. And like, I don't know why I thought that was a good idea because of course this garbage was nasty and there's a huge monster cat rat in it. It looked like a cat. The rat looked like a cat. And I pull a garbage can in the house right after I had just cleaned the house. This rat, like I put, I put the garbage can down to take a break and the rat runs out. And then I have this rat running around the house and I'm screaming like a child. Like I've never seen that before. And I was like, oh, what do I do? What do I do? And I run out to the neighbors and the neighbors are like, here, take this back. I don't know what I was supposed to do with the rat. (laughs) Needless to say that rat stayed in that house for a couple of days afterwards until I could figure out to get an exterminator. Oh my gosh. But yeah, I made it that much worse. Like I was that scared at the time that I could not figure out what to do other than somehow I thought it was a good idea to pass a garbage can through a house and I made it 10 times worse by adding a a wrap. I mean, it wasn't a bad idea. Like I've done that before, right? Like you, you're flipping a house or doing whatever you're doing. You bring the garbage in and you handle your business. It's no big deal. The house is trashed anyway. So who cares? But but in I mean, this you case, literally invited a rat in your house for dinner by bringing this trash can in. It's crazy. Yeah. And then I had to like spend weeks trying to figure out how to get rid of the rat. So I essentially gave myself another tour. So and like now it's funny, but at the time I, I, I came out of the house and I was like, oh my God, <laughs> like, what am I going to do? And then I laughed about it because it was so ridiculous. Like I really, yeah. like I started screaming, like in the cartoon, like, ah! <laughs> what is a rat gonna do to you nothing but at the time it seemed like the worst thing in the world so that's my story about that's the a great story rat. yeah thanks for sharing <laughs> that's amazing so the the lesson learned from that story is don't bring rats into the house right don't bring rats into the house. <laughs> and you can't kill them with the bat they move way too fast yeah oh my gosh mm-hmm. that's crazy mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, okay so what are three things that you wish you knew about being a real estate agent prior to actually jumping in the business. Like you, you started on the investment side. So you had a little bit of a head start mm-hmm. um, compared to most people, in my opinion. 
just understanding how properties work, tenants buying a property, selling a property, some of that stuff. But as an agent, now that you know you are in this business, you own your own business as a real estate agent, what are a couple of things you wish you knew going into it? Um, Aside from think, not bringing rats in the house. <laughs> um, I think I knew, but like it hit me hard. It's expensive. Like it, luckily I do have, like I have plenty of startup co- uh, income saved because I kind of anticipated it, but not all the way. It's very expensive. And you have to be careful what you spend your money on. Like some things aren't worth it. Some things are, and if they work for you, do them. But you have to be careful because the money goes out real fast, right? And another thing about things that you can buy to make your business better is that even the things you can buy to make your business better, you have to put work into. So if you're not going to really use those things, don't buy them. Really think about it. You mentioned it earlier, the real estate classes that we take teach us how to pass the test. They don't really teach you anything else. So just be prepared for like coming out and not knowing really anything, really, really like practical things. You don't know anything. And that's weird feeling because like I have my bachelor's degree and then two master's degrees. So I'm used to reading a book and knowing stuff. And then this is not like that at all. <laughs> like, right. Not until you get into it, do you know? So be really comfortable with being super uncomfortable and saying, you know, I'll get back to you on that. And then running over, asking your broker and figuring it out because you really won't know like 99% of the things they ask you at first, which is okay. And I think how you're told. Yeah. No, thanks for sharing. That's great. Thank you. um, I think we started, but then we got into the trash story. What, What is one thing that you want to pay forward to other real estate professionals, whether they're an agent or a mortgage professional or whoever, you know, if somebody's listening to this conversation and they can take away one thing, what is that one thing you'd really like to pay forward to somebody? Um, yeah, I think it's that last thing I said, uh, be, be very comfortable being uncomfortable. It's okay to not know. And I also wouldn't suggest that you lie about it. Like don't just make up information so that you look smart in front of your client really say, you know, that's a good question. I'll get back to you on that. It's it's okay not to know. Yes. And it's also okay for me anyway, I guess this is person to person, but it's okay that we don't, okay. You have to provide good customer service and I understand all that, but there's people that will never, that you're never going to click with. It's just how it works. Like there's personality types There's no particular personality type, but I will not be liked by every single person in the world. It is impossible. And I will not like every single person in the world. And there's people that you cannot work with, period. I don't, I I really truly believe that. And that's okay too, because there's people that other people can't work with that you can't. So in the end, it's a wash. It's okay. Don't, Don't drive yourself crazy about those things. I love that. Yeah, know who your client is and isn't. Right? Yeah, so you can best serve them. Yes, that's it. I like I like how you put it. That sounded much better than what I stumbled through. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's true. I think they're um, you know, we're all humans at the end of the day and we have different personality types and some people just shouldn't be working with others and that's okay. That's okay. why you have a network of other agents to refer people to or to ask for help or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's mom- funny, I think 
Regardless of whether you are part of a real estate team or a solo agent, even though you're never really a solo agent because you always have a team, right? You have a mortgage yeah. broker and an escrow yeah. person and a home inspector and a contractor, whatever. So even though you're, you're never alone in this business, and I think a lot of people, when they're lost or they don't know what to do, feel alone in this business. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's all these Facebook groups and stuff, and a lot of them are just um, public bitch sessions for lack of a better term, <laughs> yeah. but, um, like you're really not alone, you know? And if you take the time to cultivate your community and your network, there's always going to be somebody in your corner, but you can't be afraid to ask for help. And it, like you said, it's okay not to know there's no yeah. stupid question, right? Just be humble and show up every day and do the work and you can build your business over time. Yeah, and I feel like it's kind of transparent. Like, you really think you're lying to someone and they believe you, but for some, it's obvious. Like, when you're making stuff up, it's pretty obvious, or you come off as rude and snobby. So, it really is just better to say, you know, that's a good question. I'll get back to you on that. I don't know. I really like to be, I, I really can't help it. My face gives everything away. So, I have to <laughs> yeah. be as honest yeah. and genuine. I wear emo my emotions on my face too. So, if I don't right? like it, you're going to know right away. <laughs> oh yeah, that's it too. Like if I don't like you, you're gonna know right away. And I would love to make that commission, but I'm not going to. It's not gonna happen. You know I don't like you. Yeah, hundred percent. Are you currently an active? Like, are you still an active agent and doing the podcast and everything? No, I'm not an agent. I'm an investor. I've been an investor for oh, 25 gotcha. years. Gotcha, um, gotcha. I started down the road of like agent and mortgage person, mm -hmm. but. I was always like, I came from building and developing products. So oh. I, my background is I would uh, design products, build products and sell products. Um, consumer electronics, LED lighting, consumables like ink and toner, um, automotive aftermarket parts, like a bunch of different stuff. Um, I've had over 45 companies, um, 40 of which have failed. Uh, oh. Five have been five. very yeah. successful and two have been acquired by public companies. Wow. And, but what's, I bought my first foreclosure at 18 for 60 grand in California. I put 10,000 into it. I lived in it for five years. Um, that property later was valued at over 300,000. I refied, pulled money out, bought two more properties. And like, I just haven't stopped. I've owned a ton of property in six or seven different states in the U.S., and now I just focus on multifamily. Gotcha, you know, gotcha. My goal is um, 5,000 units over the next 10 years. That's where I'm trying to get to. Oh, wow. And what got you into it? That, that I mean, 18, you were barely legally, <laughs> legally yeah. there. Yeah, I mean, I wanted out of my house with my family. I did not have a traditional childhood at all. Mm -hmm. And I needed to get out of there was part of it. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, when I was 18, I moved out. And I lived with a buddy of mine that I worked with at this engineering company, but then the opportunity to came to buy this foreclosure. And like, I was making great money when I was 18 mm -hmm. at this engineering company. So I was able to make it work, you know, and at that time I put, literally put like $3,000 down and bought the property. My mortgage was like 640 bucks or whatever it was. So it was cheaper than rent. I was paying at this house that I was renting. Yeah. And, uh, I was always like super handy, very mechanical. Like that stuff was always very easy for me. So I just did the work, you know, <laughs> and then stayed in it, but I love real estate and where all of this came from that we're doing today 
-hmm. and my programs is for the last 10 years, I've owned a, a digital marketing company that I started after I sold my LED lighting technology company. And I started mm -hmm. it because I felt right around that time is when I moved from LA to Chicago. And I hired these agencies in Chicago and I just felt like they were feeding me all this bullshit all the time. You know, like I was paying for Facebook ads. I wasn't seeing conversion. I was literally spending tens of thousands of dollars. So I said, screw it. I took the best people from my led company, started my own agency to manage my own brands. But then we grew from zero to hundred clients in a year, all by referral. And I've never advertised still, but I felt like real estate kept hitting me in the head because I kept having agents walk into my office, you know, prior to the pandemic, I had a nice office with a staff and all that. And I had a couple months left on my lease. So when the pandemic hit, I'm like, okay, lease is gone. I'm cutting everything that I need to, right. And put, put everybody in remote positions. And some people stayed and are still part of my team. Other people just went and did their own thing because life changed and things happen. Um, but what I realized is that I wanted so around this time too, over the last couple of years, my wife started getting her real estate license. Well, I really started to dig into the curriculum, you know, in the school and the courses. And I just thought it was a joke. So what I wanted to do was take all of my businesses and experience and failures and my passion for real estate and put it together and mm -hmm. really support and impact agents. Um, so I created what we have now, which is the agent experience. And within that is this podcast, which my goal is just to talk to people and impact people and share value and help somebody, you know, get to that next step, whatever that is in their business. Mm -hmm. um, I have the agent workshop, which is all about being seen and getting found mm -hmm. and branding yourself as an agent and understanding you really are a business and this is what it should look like. Mm -hmm. And then I have the agent membership which is an ongoing path of five stages of a business model that I've built from my 30 years of businesses where, you know, number one is you're a startup. Number two is all about networking. Number three is all about prospecting. Number four is all about building momentum. And number five is where you become the CEO of your business and you're creating sustainability and mm -hmm. you can decide where you want to go with that business. You know, mm -hmm. so you could be a real estate agent doing eight transactions a year and be at that point, but knowing you want to double, go from eight to 16 or 16 to 32, whatever. Or you could be a newer agent that literally just started and you're trying to figure out how to brand and position yourself, right? So you can come into the membership at any of those stages and find value and find people that are in a similar spot to where you are, but have that community support. Um, and the goal with this was to also like build that community of awesome people who don't just want to make fun of each other or, you know, talk shit in Facebook groups that really want to help and pay it forward. And that's what yeah. I'm trying to do with everything I'm doing now. Yeah. I mean, and that makes sense because talking shit is, I guess, cathartic and complaining is great. It feels good for a little bit, but then you got to figure out what you're going to do next. Like, okay, I'm done with venting now. Let's fix it. Yeah, because I really feel like, you know, it's the mindset that's going to push you through to that next level and figure out what that solution is. Yeah. You know, and is like in the real estate business, there's personal development and professional development. And like, <laughs> that's what I'm doing. It's 50-50. You can't have one without the other. That's true. You know, so many other people or coaches or programs, they're going to mm -hmm. teach you you're going to learn to do this lead generation. You're going to learn to get a hundred listings a year. And like, that's all fine, but there's so many parts that are missing. Mm -hmm. That's like 
even saying that you're going to get 100 listings a year. Have you sat down and thought about what that means as far as time goes and energy? Like, Do you have the time in your life or do you really want to have 100 listings a year? The money sounds great. But I don't know. I think people underestimate. Yeah, it's people it, underestimate because they don't know. They don't. Right. You know, they, they don't know what it what the team really needs to look like to generate yeah. that revenue in that business, you know, and or, what that or, business model has to be. Yeah. Or if you're a solo, like you don't realize how much you are going to have to do, how much it's going to take away from your life, which if that's what you want, that's great. But I don't think people know that they just know that a hundred leads or a hundred contracts sounds great and the money sounds great, but they don't know what that means, the effort that it takes to do those things. You know, I've had businesses that I do a million a year in revenue and businesses I do 200 million a year in revenue. Mm -hmm. And I'll take the business doing a million in revenue all day long versus the one doing 200 million in revenue. Because A, as the revenue goes up, the profit goes down. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. B, I was a lot happier over here than I was over here because the amount of work, the amount of challenges, the amount of obstacles. And for me, that's part of what I've changed is like really looking at the business model that I want to operate for my lifestyle. You know, my wife and yeah. I have five kids. We have three dogs. Oh. Um, like I said, two of our kids are special needs and it's consuming. Mm-hmm. Right. So I want to build a lifestyle that allows me to live and enjoy my family, but also provides the income I'm looking for. And that's part of the reason I love real estate. Yeah. You know, I can do that, but from a specific model, different ways, you know, for me, I'm trying to impact agents and help them build their businesses because that is not taught anywhere mm-hmm. on how to actually build the business. Mm-hmm. Um, but then on the other side, it's cool because I'm meeting people all day long where it's a win-win for everybody that they can bring me on or show me investments that I may not have ever seen because I'm not in that part of the country and they are, mm-hmm. you know, um, or there's joint ventures and partners. And like, I always say that real estate's made of two things, people and partners. Mm-hmm. That's your business, mm-hmm. it's people and partners. Which right? is the so, same people and people. Yeah, exactly. So as you move to whatever business you're trying to do, right? So if you're a real estate agent and your goal is to help people and you take those profits from helping people because profit is not a bad word and you keep building your rental portfolio mm-hmm. to the point where you can get a property manager and afford that four, six, eight, ten percent 10% management fee that it makes sense for you to operate that business, you know, 10 years is going to go by quick. You can do a lot in 10 years. Yeah. That's true. My life is completely different ten, from from what it was ten years ago. Yeah, it's crazy so, how time flies. Yeah, exactly. And time's not going to stop. It's just going to go. So you have two choices. You know, you either design your life or you're just going to roll with the punches and you yeah. know let it push you around. So Absolutely. I try to be deliberate with what I'm trying to create, and it doesn't always work according to plan, right? Like things change you know, whatever, God may have a better path for you. Things have to rearrange themselves, whatever life happens. But I believe in the end, things work out for you, period. So as I've had more experiences, I've noticed that things will happen. And at the time when I'm sitting them in them, I don't understand or they suck or eh, they're pretty miserable. But 
a year down the road, I look back and that thing that I was experiencing taught me whatever it is that I needed to know for that moment. Like, oh, that's why that happened. Like, I'm telling you, even that at the time with the rat and the crazy house and that mess, that taught me so much. And I used that information so many more times. Like the first um, sale that I had, I had a situation where the landlord had a squatter. And I knew I was informed on squatters, rights. I knew what to do because of my terrible experience, you know, and then my dad had another situation that was similar. So there were so many times again and again, where I used the information that I had learned. And I knew on the flip side, like when you have a cooperative tenant, I had one and we found him the assistance he needed. And I used that information to help people stay in their homes and get caught up on the rent. So both of those experiences at the time, I didn't know what to do. And they were so helpful moving forward. So you just never know until no. much you, later. Yeah, you don't. Steve Jobs has a saying, you can never connect the dots looking forward, but you can always mm -hmm. connect the dots looking backwards, right? And like, mm -hmm. I'm a firm believer in that. Mm -hmm. you know? I've, become, I've become a firm believer in that, yes. Over I love that. Um, Annabelle, I know you have to get back to teaching. I want to be sensitive to your time, but where can people find you? Um, if they have a referral, if they just want to reach out to you, what's the best way to get a hold of you? So the easiest thing to do is just to send me a quick email. And I am at homesbyannabellec at gmail.com. So it's just H-O-M-E-S-B-Y-A-N-A-B-E-L and then the letter C at gmail.com. I am on Facebook, Annabelle Creo, pretty, pretty straightforward. Um, and I do have my YouTube channel where I will be posting monthly market updates uh, for the local area. And I try to keep them like a show. I don't want to make them long. People don't have time. You know, I know we're in a rush for society. So <laughs> usually five minutes, it'll just give you a quick feed about whether the market is going up or down, what the median home price is, how long homes are staying on the market. And I always talk a little bit on what it looks month to month and what it looks like from now to a year ago. So gives you just a quick uh, snapshot, basically. And I am on Instagram. Um, that one's, I'm slowly building my Instagram page up, but same, just under Annabelle Carrillo. So yeah, if you'd like to reach out and if you need any kind of information, I'm your source. Annabelle, thank you. It's been a privilege. It's been awesome. Thank you. I appreciate you. Hey guys, it's Ray. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Thanks so much for being here and we'll see you on the next one.